Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. One of the top questions I get when I'm traveling the world speaking is, hey, Mike, is there a place I could go online and learn all these skills that you use on stage when you're talking so I could be a better speaker, trainer, or maybe even pursue a passion of speaking professionally? And there is now. You can do all of that at theahacenter.com. That's T-H-E-A-H-A center.com. Welcome, Eileen. We're so excited to have you on today's show, and we want to dive right into this uh, because you really uh, talk on a very specific topic. So I want to let all the listeners let you share that because I always think it's great to come from the person and hear that passion. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Absolutely. I'm a clinical psychologist in Princeton, New Jersey, and I've also written a bunch of books about children's feelings and friendships. And my latest book is called Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. Awesome. And in here, you talk a lot about helping with strategies. And very much there's, without maybe using the direct reference to mindfulness, there is an element, a lot of elements to mindfulness in your strategies. And so, for instance, you talk about emergency calming strategies. So could you tell us a little, I think nowadays this is so important because people have a lot of anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of triggering going on in today's society where no, no matter where people are coming from. So what is an emergency calming strategy? I think this is something that everyone needs, including us adults. Um, and unfortunately, the best way to teach it is to use it <laughs> with ourselves. Parenting is a tough job. It's very emotional. It's easy to get sucked in when our, our children are emotional. And if we can demonstrate for them how to take a deep breath, how to just stop for a second. Um, This is tremendous. With children, it can also help to talk at a calm moment about what to do when they're feeling overwhelmed with feelings and to set up some strategies ahead of time. For kids, I like sensory strategies because often being able to, to touch or to smell or to look at something is a way to bring them to the right here, right now moment. Things that work with kids could be um, smelling a scented candle. What would be a circumstance where they would do this? Is this self-awareness for the child, or is this when they're in the epitome of anger trying to get them to do this? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see a parent going, okay, Annie, you're very upset. Will you just take a sip of the candle? You'll be, everything will be, you'll, yeah. so there must be, uh, there must be certain situations you're teaching this in, which as you said, can apply to adults too. So we can all be thinking about this while exactly. uh, as parents or just as adults, uh, how we can use these strategies. 
Right. So you're, that's a really good point, Mike. There's a point of no return where you just have to kind of wait out the storm. So the idea is to talk to kids before they get to that point. So in a calm moment, set up the strategies and then help children to notice. I notice you're getting a little bit riled here. I notice you're feeling really frustrated with that math homework. Let's take a moment and use something. I usually have kids set up a calming box. So the strategies are all there, those sensory activities. It could be a kaleidoscope. It could be, as I said, the candle. could be something that's really fun to touch. You have a little box, maybe like almost like a little chest or a little something, and it's almost mysterious. And inside there are these tools that they can use for strategy, whether it be a candle or you said a kaleidoscope. I love that concept. For Mm -hmm. sensory to like stress balls or... It could be. And I also think it's really important to get the kids involved in setting up the calming box because different things appeal to different different kids, whether they like something hard that they can squeeze or something very soft that they can stroke. We want to get the ones that really appeal to the individual child. When kids have some say in what strategies they use, they're more likely to buy into it. Yeah. And I have a friend that sent me a few years ago. A, a little box like this big, a pad, I mean, uh-huh. and you can take the, the little, what do you want to call it, a brush and just wet it with water and you can make designs on that Oh, on a, and then it dries up. So when you're traveling, this can go with you anywhere yeah, uh, and it allows exactly. you to create new things. And I think it's that same concept the night, just maybe take that moment. And is this good for even before sleep to help create a calming effect or is this more for those because you call it emergency calming strategies can it be used for peacefulness just throughout the day or really do you want to use this so it is special and it applies in those moments like if you overuse it does it lose its effectiveness i think it does so i think it's nice to have some activities that are just set aside for when you start to notice that you're getting worked up And you want to be able to kind of ride the wave out of the emotion. One of the most important concepts from mindfulness is the impermanence and that the emotions do pass. That is tremendously important for kids and adults to learn. So when they're using this strategy, I'm reading a book right now called The Upside of Dark Side or Your Dark Side, something along that line, a very powerful book. In this strategy, when they're using this sensory, is it to think it out and work it through? Or is it to actually leave the mind at that moment? Which, which are they trying to accomplish? I think there's a place for both. So I think when kids are really worked up, the thinking brain is offline. So we want to help them to settle down. And the sensory activities are very useful for bringing them back to right here, right now. And then they can do some of the thinking. Another technique that I often use with, with kids in my, cl- in my practice is um, what I call feeling cards, When children know what they're feeling, then it's much easier for them to know how how to cope and where to proceed. But a lot of times kids struggle with this and you ask them, how are you feeling? Bad. Um, And and they don't really know. So what I I do is I take a bunch of uh, little three by five index cards, cut them in half so they're a nice little size. And then with the child, we'll brainstorm every emotion they can think of. And I'll sneak in a few that that (laughs) I think that they need to be aware of. And then what I do is I have the kids take the cards and put them into three piles. Yes, no, maybe a little bit. And then this is a wonderful sort of checking in activity. So it doesn't have to be when they're upset. It could be when they're happy. It could be 
just kind of a neutral time or just kind of a way to check in. And then they put it into the yes, no, maybe a little bit. And then we go through the yes pile and say, oh, you're, you're, you're feeling discouraged or you're feeling excited. What's going on there? And it gives them a, a, a tool for putting their feelings into words as well as just an awareness of their own inner experience. What I love about that is that there may be 10 answers not exactly. one. I think yeah. in the past, we always thought of those cards because many of us parents have seen those. Either our kids have talked to a therapist or we've worked at some level, we've seen that. And you think, oh, when you get to that card, then you talk about it. But here, no, there could be five, 10 cards in that yes pile and another five in the maybe because there's so much going on. You can be both those things, right? You can be excited and annoyed. You can right. be the opposite of excited where you're just disengaged and angry. Right. You know, and so it's how do you address each of those? And that allows you to slow down and talk about that. And I think about it as adults. If we talked about if we really looked at what are all the emotions I'm feeling right now, not just the one key one that I'm firing off on. Right, exactly. And we also know that children's ability to understand their own emotions is a stepping stone to be able, being able to imagine and empathize with other people's feelings. So this is a very important step to, to be able to talk about emotions. Is there anything different in either of these exercises, the, the box or the cards for an adult? Does it apply the same or are there different elements if you're an adult thinking, hey, this could help me? If it appeals to you, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Uh, because I don't think this is something that, you know, we master at age nine and then we're done. You know, as, as adults, we are still learning and experiencing with new relationships or new, new events. So it, it's, a, it's a lifelong learning kind of thing. Awesome. And you have another skill set that you teach called the train trick. And this has to do with disappointment. So yeah. could you share with us, so, so you're feeling disappointment or your child's feeling disappointment. What is the train trick? So the train trick is a metaphor. I, I like metaphors and pictures with kids because I just find that they get through to kids more than our all of our adult talking. And the train trick is basically, it's acknowledgement. Um, it's recognizing that you have this disappointment and you sort of picture the train coming towards you and arriving at the station and it's there and you are fully aware of this disappointment. And then you imagine the train moving away from you. So it's, it's again with the idea of impermanence with emotion. So it's pulling away and then we kind of turn our attention to what is coming next. So it's a way of acknowledging the disappointment, but also recognizing that that moment passes. Okay. So the train coming in is disappointment that whatever that disappointment, specific disappointment we just experienced is. Right. Exactly. And we're going to say goodbye. It's okay. It, it, it was here. Yes. It was part of my life. And I allow myself to say, bye train, you yeah. know, goodbye. <laughs> uh, and then look down the tracks for what's what the next that? train? What yeah. could that be? And do we explore that? Do we explore what it could be? Maybe it depends. We always want to meet the child where they are. Right. You know, sometimes it's just a matter to you've moved past it. So one instance of where this happens a lot is with winning and losing. That is such a hard skill for kids to learn. Um, hard skill for adults to deal with. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. And most kids can't manage to be gracious winners and losers until about age nine. But they encounter games a lot, a lot earlier than that. Uh, Six-year-olds, for example, routinely cheat. <laughs> it's just it's kind of where they are because that winning feels so important. Uh, so one question that I often ask kids is, how long do you think winning and losing lasts? 
and they think about it for a while and we talk about it and usually we come up to about two seconds. So let's say you had a squash match and you lose it. Well, then you walk over to the parents and they say either nice try or better luck next time or hopefully, um, hopefully. Right, right. Right. And then you go home and have lunch. <laughs> so that that's it's gone. It's passed. The moment has passed and we keep going. So it's helping them recognize you control how long the winning or the losing lasts. Exactly. By because some will go home and that'll bother them till the next game or the next practice or, or for the next season. The train trick allows them to say, okay, there goes the loss. Right. And, right? and something, and, right. And something yeah. else is going to come down. A win or a loss is coming down the road. But right now right. I have, right now I have lunch. That's the train. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. Wouldn't that be a good way for them to view it? The next train's lunch. It's not even an emotion. I can just, <laughs> it's, is, is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so very the, the cool. The moment has passed. All emotions are not permanent. They're just, you, we ride out the wave of them. We acknowledge them, we're aware of them, and we ride it out because it's not who you are. And what age does this work through? Like, what age does this start to get a little more difficult for it to be effective? So the elementary school kids can usually do these kinds of things. What I've noticed in my practice is that that 11 to 13-year-old or maybe 11 to 15-year-old stage, they are just not open to mindness, mindfulness techniques. And younger kids will embrace it. Older kids, like 16-year-olds, have a more sophisticated way of thinking, and they're also more open to it. But a lot of that, you know, late tween, early teen era they're just it's boring <laughs> they could so benefit so they <laughs> the earlier you get to this in someone's life the better because then when they get to those years they already have it they can they have the skills we've right we've you're not trying the, to introduce something new they don't want to engage in they have it right 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 so although sometimes the those middle school early high school kids will, will pull away from it don't worry you've still got that foundation there they'll come back yeah, I think, that, think that's so brilliant to talk about, which just because they pulled away doesn't mean they didn't learn it all those years. Right, And exactly. I think as a parent, you can get frustrated going, where'd that go? It's there, it's there, just they're not there right now. Right. right. And we need to let that train go. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, as the parent, we have to let these trains go. And I think that that's one thing for, for parents who really care very deeply about mindfulness. We can see how it could benefit our children, but we also have to be realistic about it. So mindfulness is not going to stop your toddler from having temper tantrums. It's not going to necessarily prevent your older son from torturing his younger sister because we have to be humble about child development. It's still a good thing to treat, to teach. It's still... We want to equip kids with the tools that they're going to need throughout their lives, but we also don't want to expect miracles. Well, and it doesn't work that way for adults. Yeah, exactly. No matter how mindful we are, we can be agitated. We can be short with people. We can have an yeah. attitude. Uh, all of that. That's part of mindfulness, acknowledging that this is par all part of the journey, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all part of who I am. It's not I'm only good or I'm only bad. It's, it's the whole exactly. package. Right. I had a mindfulness um, teacher once who, who was saying that noticing of when you've pulled away and gently pulling yourself back, that is mindfulness. And uh, I thought that it was a very compassionate thing to say because I yeah. get off all the time. <laughs> yeah, we all do. So to expect a child not to is so unfair. And we can do that yeah. at times as adults sometimes. And a lot of your work is about setting boundaries, right? Respecting those boundaries. So a lot of what we talk about in mindfulness, even my personal work, that I do with the Date Safe Project is about boundaries. So how do you apply boundaries to this? 
So boundaries in terms of relationships? Yes. Well, like you said there, you can't force a child into using these. You have to respect their boundaries. Right. Uh, so how do you apply respecting boundaries to this work? Like what is what are signs that you can be aware that I might be pushing this a little too far? I might be imparting or impeding on their boundaries right now. So I think we can tell a lot by listening to our children. You know, what I often say in my practice is we deal with the child in front of us. Um, I'll, I'll give you a story that I often tell. Many times, by the time parents come to me, they're feeling very frustrated with their kids. And one, one story that I, I hear often is the parents say, Every night is the same thing. We tell the kid, go get ready for bed. And then we go up 45 minutes later and he's taken off one sock. And I say, every night? And they go, yes, every night. And I say, has there ever been an exception? No, there's never been an exception. And I say, well, then apparently that plan isn't working. <laughs> because So it doesn't matter whether kids ought to be able to do this or um, most kids can do this or the younger sister can do this. We deal with the child in front of us. I'm just going to pause this for one second because I want to let everyone listening know about one of our amazing sponsors. This week's program is brought to you by the Can I Kiss You program, an interactive how-to skills-based program for school systems, universities, and the U.S. military throughout the world, addressing consent, bystander intervention, respecting boundaries, how to talk about what you want and don't want, and supporting survivors of sexual assault. Now, for many of the listeners out there know, this is what I do for a living. I travel the world giving the County Kishu program and many other trainings throughout the world. So yes, this is me uh, that you're bringing in to speak. If you're interested, contact our offices Ask for Rita at the Date Safe Project. Our website's datesafeproject.org, or you can call Rita at 800 329 9390. That's this week's sponsor of this episode. And I mean, you can apply that to everything. You can think, I have the spouse who's in front of me right now, right? Because a lot of people want to, and we've all go through it maybe at some stage in relationships, you're trying to fix that person or make yeah. them better. And you right. are not accepting the child that's in front of you, you're not accepting the spouse that's in front of you. Uh, you you need so. to honor that person for who they are in that moment. That's who they are. So stop trying to say, I'm going to fix them. Say, how, what, do, what do I love about who they are right now? Like where, yeah. how, how can I see their value and how beautiful or wonderful they are in this moment? And can I, can I see them with gentle and compassionate eyes? So um, I don't think I've ever said this, but uh, so I've written seven or I'm working on book number seven right now. And my books are loaded with strategies. But I'll tell you, Mike, what they're really about is helping parents to have a more compassionate view of their children and of their self, of themselves. That's what all my books are about. really. I love that. And I, I love that we get the scoop. That's the first time you've, you've said <laughs> that. So that's very exciting. And that's what we're all about here. It is about self-compassion. Yeah. Uh, somebody recently talked to me. I said from stage something about self-respect. And they said, Mike, you should really change that to self-compassion. Uh-huh. Because there's a big difference in those words. And there will be times we all don't respect ourselves. But you can still have self-compassion. Right, right at all right. times. You may sit there and go, well, I don't think I'm that great. I don't think so. I have no self-respect, so I really am a loser. Versus I can always have self-compassion for myself. That's, right. There's no right. way I can say I, I'm incapable of that. Uh, it's not a judgment yeah, call. Right, to view ourselves and others with kind eyes. So yeah. I'll give you a sneak peek of the book that I'm, I'm writing now. 
which is about children's self-esteem, and it's a book for parents. So there's a lot of nonsense out there about self-esteem, about, you know, have kids do affirmations and say, I'm so special and I'm wonderful. That totally doesn't work. There's, there's research on this. It just doesn't work. And especially when a kid is feeling bad about themselves to say these glorious things, it just feels false. Yeah, affirmations so, have to be truthful. So, Well, the point of the book is that real self-esteem isn't about loving ourselves. Because honestly, who among us stands in front of a mirror and says, gosh, I love myself? <laughs> real self-esteem is about being able to let go of the question, am I good enough? So think about when you're having like lunch with, a, with somebody that you're very close to. You're not sitting there thinking, does he like me? You know, you're immersed in the conversation. You are very present. And the question of your worth just isn't even there. That's what we want to be aiming for. I love that. That not need to answer, am I good enough? To not even wonder, am I good enough? It's just a natural belief system. Of course I am. Or Or not even to not even answer that, right? It's not even to be present for that. Right. Because you are present in whatever you are doing or whoever you are interacting with or whatever you are experiencing. If you are present, you're not sitting there with that evaluative perspective, which tangles us all up. Yeah, I love that. There was something we shared recently on Facebook, and it was a TED Talk on how to just listen to others Ah, and to be present. And when you are fully present, it's not about you. It's not you're not comparing what they've just accomplished. Like my friends and I will joke with each other and we'll say, I'm jealous in all good ways. Right. So like they're saying all these things that are happening, we're really genuinely excited for them. And you're like, oh, man. And that's it's only a second of, oh, man, that must be nice. But that little second of it, you know, so what we say is in good ways, because then we let it go. That is it's going, oh, I I heard that jealousy, but I'm letting it go because this is all good. Right. This is all. And it's the same thing. They're being full. I love that. I love that. Another thing where it comes up with, I think, is with the idea of forgiveness, So a lot of kids and adults get into trouble in relationships because we collect those grievances like beads on a string. Or I had a kid once who the mom was saying, well, why don't you play with the boy down the road? And he said, no, because three years ago when we were in travel basketball, he never passed the ball. So he's hanging on to this bitterness. And I guarantee you, the other kid doesn't even remember whatever happened. But he's got this, this bitterness that he's clutching. So one of the things I talk about in Growing Friendships is forgiveness guidelines. So if it happened once and it's never likely to happen again, let it go. If, it, if the person didn't do it deliberately or if they're genuinely sorry for whatever it was, let it go. If it happened more than a month ago, definitely let it go. <laughs> so to, and I noticed you're saying if. So there are things that you're saying, okay, that's understandable. You might not let that go, right? If they continue to treat you with harm or degradation. Right. That's not a let go. That's a separate, correct? Right. Or a speak up. So. Okay. And I'm glad because this was going to be my yeah. next question. Because you do talk about standing up for friends. That exactly. includes yourselves. So why, yeah. don't we, why don't we dive into that? Speaking up for yourself, ch- teaching child that, and then standing up for friends. Okay. So speaking up for yourself means using those I statements rather than an accusatory, why are you doing that thing? And this takes practice. So I had a kid once who she was upset with her friend because the friend was sitting with somebody else on the bus. So she wrote the girl a two-page letter about every rotten thing that this friend had ever done. 
And guess what? The kid accused her of bullying, which she wasn't. It was just kind of a clumsy way of communicating. So this is really important to teach kids how to talk to others with kindness and respect. And usually that involves saying I and involves asking for what you do want them to do. Like, please stop being annoying. (laughs) So what would be the I there? Okay, so with the girl on the bus, I would say, um, I'm feeling sad or left out because you've been sitting only with Sarah on the bus. Could you please either um, take turns or can we squeeze in and sit on one of the three, three seat, um, okay. seats on the bus? So, so it's not, I was wondering, because there's language that, that I've been taught that I love sometimes in a relationship, mm-hmm. which is the story I'm telling myself is that you don't want to spend time with me anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's an I statement, the story I'm telling myself, because they could be like, well, that's not true. It's you're not saying they don't want to. You're saying the story I have in my head. Is that yeah. a similar concept? Well, that's a little bit um, more advanced. Another t- okay. No, it's, kids can definitely do this, but we okay. got to figure out how to say it in a kid friendly way. So what I do with this one is we know from research that children and adults who are prone to anger tend to assume they're doing that out, out of deliberate meanness. So for kids, what I do is um, I talk about the maybe game. And I'll give them just plain examples that have nothing to do with their life just so that they can practice this. Someone stole your pencil. Now, maybe they were doing it out of deliberate meanness or what else? Maybe they thought it was theirs. Maybe they just took it without realizing. Um, Maybe they borrowed it and they're going to give it back to you in two seconds. The more that we can come up with these maybes, the less plausible that they did it to cause me suffering right scene. right so once they've had some practice doing it with pretend scenarios then it's easier to apply it to their own situation so how would so, they use that with another person this is this is an internal thing. okay this that's what i thought that. it sounds very yeah. internal well maybe that's right. not what's happening is, is there an advanced way they can say to themselves can they use that language like an adult can of the story i'm telling myself yes so this is the basically the maybe okay and you're assuming that it's deliberate meanness, but maybe it's one of these other 12 things. I gotcha. So do the maybe first. Yes. And then verbalize the story I'm telling myself is this maybe. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. okay. But it could be any of these other things. And it's it kind of unhooks kids from that deliberate meanness yeah. scenario. Um, I have another technique that I, uh, I think this is the best thing I've ever invented because it works. <laughs> and it works with kids. It works with um, spouses. It works with coworkers. Awesome. Let's dive into it. I call it um, the soft criticism. The instinctive thing to do when someone criticizes us is to defend. Well, it's not my fault, and you do it too, and he does it worse, and all the rest of it. And that is not productive. So the idea behind the soft criticism is to get around that instinctive defensiveness. So step one, and this is, parents can use this. I, re- I strongly recommend it for parents when we have to bring up something to correct our kids because that's part of our job too. Older kids can also do this and teenagers can definitely do it. Little ones, maybe not so much. But so step one is we give an excuse. And the excuse might be something like, you probably didn't realize or I know you were trying to do X or um, I understand you have a lot going on. So the excuse says to the other person that I know you're a good person with good intentions, even when you mess up. 
And the bonus for ourselves is that in order to come up with a realistic excuse, we have to stop for a second and look at the thing from their point of view. And that right there is empathy. So we're coming in, if we give them an excuse, they don't have to come up with them. And we come in from a position of we're on the same side. The second step um, is the part we want because we're annoyed, which is the but. But here we want to be careful and we would say, but when you, bad behavior, bad outcome. I understand that you're feeling really pressured about getting your homework done. But when you throw a shoe at your sister, you could really hurt her. So, or, you know, you, you could... Um, I don't mean to laugh because that can be a dangerous situation. <laughs> right, exactly. right, right. Or but when you call your sister that, it really hurts her feelings because um, that's a sensitive area for her. And then the most important start part is step three, which is move forward. We can't undo what's already passed. That old train's moved. So, but we can think about how to move forward. So with, we might ask, what can you do to help your sister feel better? I love that question because it's an empowering way to get kids back on track with being kind and compassionate. And that's, that's the best we can all do is just notice when we're off track and get back on track. Can that include asking? In other words, if I was doing this with another adult, a spouse, a partner, a friend, to at the end of this say, what can I do to help this situation going forward? Yes, absolutely. And so another question we could ask is, how can we prevent this? Or what can we do to fix this? You want to get the kid to be involved in the solution as opposed to go tell her you're sorry. You know, right. That's what I was going to ask. How does the yeah. apology? Right. And so does, is there an apology process that you teach? The kids will usually come up with, I could tell that uh, to her, I'm sorry. And okay. say, I think that would help. I think that would help. But how wonderful to have it from the kids lips yes. rather than us imposing it. Yeah. The forced apology is never an apology. Right. Like, yeah. You sorry. go tell them now. It's like, okay, I will. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, that doesn't sound like you're sorry. It sounds like you're annoyed that you have to tell me you're sorry. Right. And we do that at all ages. Well, fine. I'm sorry. You know, or I'm sorry yeah. I hurt your feelings. Well, wait, it was the action you took or the words you said <laughs> you should be sorry for right. uh, that exactly. caused that. Right. Right. And, and sometimes depending on what the situation is, you might prompt the kid and say, you know, this is a pretty big one. I think that you might want to do an apology of action. Like, what can you do for the person? Or even for us. Like, so what is an apology for someone listening? What's an apology for action, of action? You do something to help the other person feel better. So to show caring. Okay. And you person. still apologize, though, right? Like, you're not yeah. trying to act like I don't have to talk about this. I'm just going to do this for you. Because that'll tick right. people off, too, right? Exactly. Like, all of a sudden, you're just being nice to me, but you won't talk about what you just did. Yeah. Right. There needs, there needs to be an acknowledgement. And, and that's why we have the, the middle stage, because they have to see the impact of their actions on others. So that, that's an important part of it. Love it. And Eileen, you've been wonderful. I want to thank you for joining us. And the book is Growing Friendship, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. Uh, and where can people find it? Everywhere books are sold. I also have a website called drfriendtastic.com, which has friendship advice for kids. And it's Love fun. that. And we'll put that in the show notes. So anyone listening, you could be driving, running right now. Just when the show is done, go to the show notes. When you get done with your drive, you're, hit the link. We'll have a link to all that so they can get you because you've been wonderful. Everyone, everyone listening, this is Eileen Kennedy Moore. You go on Amazon, I would assume, find all your books, yeah, correct? Right. And eileenkennedymore.com also has. Oh, there we go. So we got... Uh, but let's go to the first website because I don't want to confuse them too because there was the Frentastic. 
Dr. Doctor, right? Is that a DR yeah. or is that a DO? DR Frantastic. Okay, there we go. Dr. Frantastic. And then we yeah. have Kathleen, uh, I'm sorry, Eileen Kennedy Moore.com also. That's right. Awesome. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your so brilliance. Much, Absolutely. This really fun. Thanks. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.